0: Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. I'm Jeff Webb. I am Vice President of Professional Services here at Anderson Advisors. With me today is Elliot Thomas, the tax advisor manager. He's in charge of all your tax advisors uh, at Anderson. Toby Mathis is unable to be with us today, so we're going to try to pull through without him. We're going to go ahead and do the Toby check. So if you want to tell us where you are uh, so we can make sure everybody can hear us, that would be great.
1: Yeah, we got San Jose, San Diego, Idaho. Oh, San Francisco Bay Area, Michigan, Dallas, go Cowboys. You're not going to be able to keep up the ball. (laughs) Utah, Miami, Dallas again, Sacramento, Brentwood. (coughs) Oh, yeah, now here they come. (laughs) Here they come. San Jose to Missouri, Tucson. Very nice.
0: So we, as you all know, we get everybody from everywhere. So uh, just a few of our rules uh, for those of you who are new to us.
1: This is an Ask Live via question and answer feature in the Zoom. So if you have any questions, please don't put them into the chat. Please put them into the question and answer section. We have a whole staff there, and I apologize. I don't remember everybody on it, <laughs> but uh, we do have a, a team there of our CPAs, EAs, uh, just about everybody uh, back there answering your questions, and they'll try and get them through there. Uh, so again, put them on the, chat sec- excuse me, the question and answer section so they can get to them. We'll get through all the questions that we can. We do get a lot of questions during this one hour or so. And then the chat would just be for other questions. And we may not be able to get through all those because we have our list that we have already picked out that we have to get through as well.
0: You can also use chat if you just want to be rude to Elliot. That's fine. Yep.
1: <laughs> um, Any other questions that we don't get to, feel free to email it into Tax uh, Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. If you need a detailed response, you can become a platinum uh, member, where you can submit these questions questions online. If you already are a platinum member, then you know you can do so. Then, lastly, uh, we just try and you know get through this a uh, few questions and uh, have an educational section where we just while while we're explaining the uh, answers, excuse me, just to give you guys an idea of uh, just more than just what the simple yes no answer is. We try and go a little bit more in depth, maybe come up with some scenarios of where we would do uh, something this way or that way. Kind of just playing off your questions that we've already selected.
0: I know we have Pio and mm-hmm. Troy and Dana. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm missing sure Dutch.
1: Somebody. Dutch is in there. I know
0: we are less than a week out from our big April 18th deadline, so uh, we may be a little short of people today to answer the questions. We got Ian and Christos as well. Outstanding. Nice. Heavy hitters. Everyone. Uh, there's my, Ian and Christos. Are my two senior tax managers. They carry a lot of the my load in the tax department. So we yeah, are glad to have them on. Absolutely.
1: So uh, let's see what we got here. For We'll just read through the uh, questions here. We're going to go through all the questions that we will be reviewing, then we'll come back and start answering them. First of all, uh, first question. I am thinking about investing in a Bitcoin mining fund. We will take 90% depreciation in the first year. Can I use that loss to offset against my gains over the next few years of the fund? Passive loss for passive gain. And number two, our business generated substantial income in 2022 in a single member LLC. Can I create a new LLC and elect S corp status in 2022 and move income from the single member LLC the older one into the newly created S corporation and be taxed as an S corp for 2022? Third question, is it true that creating a revocable living trust I will raise my capital gains taxes if I sell my property primary residence home uh, versus if I transfer my in, in my name uh, transfer the house into my name, I must live in it for 2 to 5 years to qualify for low, lower capital gains taxes? Uh, number four, I have sold a real estate transaction in 2022. Can I avoid capital gains taxes if I purchase another real estate transaction in 2022? Uh, number five, if I am a retired person wanting to give a sum of money to my son, how can I advise him regarding deferring taxes on that inheritance money? Number six, kind of a long one here. I'm on Social Security and still an entrepreneur, but currently have no significant income over the, outside of the Social Security. And I'm looking to buy a duplex with my business partner's mother, Whose sole source of income is also social security, and where would we, where we would each reside separately in the two units on each half? I guess I understand that as co-borrowers, we would be uh, fully responsible for the payment of the property if the other one dies, and the other person is fairly concerned about her liabilities if something were to happen to me. The question is a living trust a possible vehicle to address her concerns, either by guaranteeing the payment account or by paying off some of the selling of the property or uh, some other uh, means such as a life insurance policy tied to the property. Also, in the case of the need for either of us to to get medical care or uh, care facilities of some nature that will look at the assets, is there a way by means of using the living trust or some other financial vehicle that can be used to protect assets for the other party? Long question. Yeah. (laughs) Then uh, I think we're on number seven here. I have a $14,000 tax liability for 2021. I need to open a SEP or a simple IRA to reduce that 21 tax liability. What else can I do for 2021 to lower the taxes? Uh, Number eight, my LLC bought a fixer upper in in 2021 and uh, sent the 1099 to the contractor who did the repairs. Property is now rented. Does my LLC have to include that 1099 for repairs in my 2021 taxes, or do we have to wait until the property is sold? And then if I rent a property, is it better to declare it as personal income or should I better register an LLC or S corporation? Thanks. And can you explain what cost segregation is and how you apply it when you buy a rental? What can be used in cost segregation? Also, if you depreciate a rental property for five out of the 27.5 years and then sell, how does the recapture work and how do you calculate it?
0: Yeah, uh, that's some of the things where we have a lot of our uh, content. Uh, YouTube, we are on YouTube right now, I believe. You can ask your questions through YouTube and they will be relayed. Replays, you can watch replays. I think some of them are on YouTube, but you can always get them uh, if you're a Platinum member. They will be available in your Platinum portal. Let's get started then. First question, I am thinking about investing
1: in a Bitcoin mining fund. Will we will take 90% depreciation the first year? Can I use that loss to offset my gains over the next uh, few years of the funds? Passive loss for passive gain.
0: If you're investing in a Bitcoin fund, it's probably going to be passive to you. Bitcoin mining, meaning you don't own the equipment. You're not actually doing any of the mining yourself. So yeah, you're going to get 90% depreciation on all that equipment they purchase, probably thousands and thousands of dollars. But if it's all passive, you're not going to be able to recognize it unless you have other passive income. And since this is business income, we talk about the active real estate rule Mm -hmm. where you can deduct up to $25,000 if you're in a certain income bracket. There's nothing like that for business passive losses. That's right. Just for
1: real estate. For those of you who've heard a lot of our questions about Bitcoin taxation, things of that nature, the fact that this is a mining operation, typically you hear that mining is an ordinary activity. Probably not what we have going on here because, as Jeff pointed out, this isn't a fund. So probably it's set up so that the investor is maybe a a limited partner or something like that, too, where it's going to be all passive to them. Just keep in mind, though, for those of you out there who are mining Bitcoin, that that is typically an active uh, business and ordinary income, Mm -hmm. and we would set that up in a separate uh, C corporation or something like that, typically for you.
0: Investing in a fund is quite a bit different than Mm -hmm. doing the business yourself. You actually probably have a staff of people in this fund that's actually doing all that investing.
1: Yeah, which gets back to the, the, you know, for all those real estate clients out there, where we talk about the material participation for real estate professional status. Same thing in a business. Uh, if they're not materially participating in the operation of that money fund, then it's just passive to them typically, which is, I suspect, what we have going on here. Mm-hmm. All right, that's number one. Number two, <clears throat> excuse me, our business generates substantial income in 2022 and a single member LLC. Can I create a new LLC and elect S Corp status in 2022 and move income from the single member LLC into the newly created S Corp and be taxed uh, as an
0: S Corp for 2022? Yeah, you and I talked about that yep. this morning. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we talk about these questions. You and I were both in agreement that this is taking the long way around. Yeah. If you have an LLC already as a single
1: member, and I'm assuming that by single member, you mean disregarded. Maybe we shouldn't make that assumption, but we're going to go ahead. You can go ahead and do S election for it in 2022. You don't have to move it anywhere. You can do what's called late election. We do it quite often. Uh, You just have to have certain there are uh, there's a a checklist of things you have to do, mainly having the right language at the top of your return and things like that. So you could go ahead and get this in an S corporation for 2022 and not bother with a new entity. I can understand maybe there's reasons you might want a new entity later on. Well, at the end of the year, you can set up the new uh, LLC and then merge that business underneath it and, you know, or start it all over in the new one for next year if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, while we're past the deadline for creating an S-Corp for the whole year, like you said, we have that late election terminology that will let us do it anyway. And I very seldom see them turn that down. Yeah, I've never seen it myself. Uh, they, They have the right to, but they are usually quite generous
1: with granting it.
0: So we can make your existing LLC an s corporation for the entire 2022. If you created another LLC... It would only begin at the earliest sometime in April. Mm. At the date wherever you
1: started it yeah. going forward. You'd still have that tag at the beginning of the year where you weren't an S-Corp. Uh, you'd be talking Schedule C there, which we frown upon, higher audit risks uh, traditionally. So really your option here would turn that LLC into an S-Corporation, get through it. And if you're not really happy with it, maybe you wanted it in a different state or a, a different operating room or something like that, we can always set up the new one beginning of next year and actually put that business, you know, start it under the new one or
0: uh, look at different options. So before you go to LegalZoom, create your new (laughs) S corporation, Uh, talk to a business advisor here and uh, they'll give you some good advice.
1: Yep, all right. Number three, is it true that creating a revocable (coughs) living trust will raise my capital gains taxes if I sell my primary residence residence home versus if I transfer to my name, I must live in it for two to five years to qualify for the lower capital gains tax? So, yeah, we talked about this one as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'm going to jump back to the, to the last part of the question here first, where I think the client is asking, well, you know, if I do it in my own name, I have to do it the old fashioned way, too. I have to live in it two of the last five years. You're going to have to do that no matter what if you take advantage of 121. That's our right. exclusion. So, we're not getting around that. It's just a matter of what we're you're, you're distinguishing whether or not it's put under the living trust, the revocable living trust, or basically in your own name. That can be done, but you got to be careful because in the wrong kind of trust with the wrong kind of language, it could foul it up. But putting it in a revocable living trust itself, typically that's a grantor trust uh, and you know, can be taken back out. And that usually doesn't impact it negatively.
0: Now, uh, what Section 121 says, it, it doesn't change your capital gains rate. It just says this amount, either 250000 or 500000 depending on if you're married or not, is excluded from gain recognition. Yep. And as you said, you had to live there in two of the last five years before you sold the property. Putting it in a revocable trust, a living trust, is usually not a problem. Uh, The one caveat I will say is if you are married and you both are co-owners, you may want to talk to somebody first. The reason is because should you pass away before your spouse does, that trust becomes an irrevocable trust. And at that point, it could cause issues with the two to five years, even though sh- your spouse is going to get a step up in basis. But the, it's, it's a good question to ask of what happens if, if I die before my spouse or my spouse dies before me. Does it foul up the, ex- the exclusion?
1: Yeah. And there's definitely situations out there <coughs> where people have kind of different trusts that develop once one's passed that could maybe take away uh, the ownership of that property from the other spouse where they just have what's called life estate and you may not be entitled to it then. So there are some issues there. Certainly. That's a great question. Glad you asked it, but we'd want to have, you want to sit down and uh, it can be structured in a way that would, would, would be all right, but you want to sit down and make sure it's, it's structured that way.
0: There's another kind of trust called the q not the old video game. <laughs> Uh, The Qualified Principal Residence Trust, I believe it is, that also kind of serves the same purpose. I don't know that we promote those. Yeah, we haven't done a lot with those that I've seen. But they are out there, and that's something else you could look into to kind of retain. The 121. The 121. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So I tell you all that we're a week out from the deadline. Oh, go ahead. Next <laughs> <The> deadline.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, next question. If I have sold real estate, I have sold a real <clears throat> estate transaction in 2022. Can I avoid capital gains taxes if I purchase another real estate transaction in 2022? This is a popular question. I hear this all the time. So, Jeff, I sell something, I got capital gains in this year. Can I take it automatically and go and invest it in something else and not have to pay capital gains on it?
0: It depends. Yep. <laughs> if you have already sold it and you've gotten a proceeds from the sale, section 1031 is off the table, the like-kind exchange. And that's, that's pretty much what you're talking about, that I want to sell my property and replace it with another property. Well, when you do that, you have to use what's called a qualified intermediary, and you can never touch the money.
1: And it has to be done within that tight time frame, 45 mm-hmm. days of listing the new properties, the replacement properties are called, they're called in a total of 180 to, from the sell of the original. And you can't just pick out and start at 1031 right after the process. <coughs> it's really too late. And as Jeff points out, you want to work with a qualified intermediary. I think you're required to now. I believe oh, yeah. after the 18, you, I don't think you have a choice. I think you have to have a QI. Because if there.
0: you get a hold of the
1: cash in any, yep, any form, you're mm-hmm. done. So we're not going to avoid capital gains tax in that manner by reinvesting perhaps like that. There is still the uh, the opportunity zones where you could put capital gains in there and defer for just a little bit. I don't think that's the, the you know maybe the best choice because it is just a def- temporary deferral uh, for a very short period of time. And then and, and the ten
0: percent step up's gone. Yes, yeah, there's no step up. All
1: the real juicy parts of the opportunity zone are gone for this uh, for the most part. Uh, so that might not be an option. Still outside of this, really thinking outside the box for this particular tax uh, question. There could be other things that you're doing. If you invested in the right kind of real estate, you know, uh, short term and you materially participate or, you know, you or your spouse have long term rentals, you might be able to do the old uh, uh, bonus or some cost segregation and bonus depreciation, which we were going to get into in one of the later questions. But those might be other methods to hit your ta- your return somewhere else, lowering the effective uh, tax rates all over the return, maybe impacting your capital gains, maybe not. But at least we'll go through your ordinary income first, which is always best.
0: Uh, and depending on how much gain you have um, what's the number that Toby usually quotes if you're married and making $85,000 or less you're not going to pay any capital gains tax yeah i think the next bracket comes in you don't hit 20% until like 4 or 500 five th- almost 500 now yeah. yeah so
1: yeah it's it's zero up to like approximately 85 married filing joint Uh, But remember, that's collective income. People get uh, uh, understandably confused on this. It's that's all the income, including the sale that you just had. You know, so if you had forty thousand W two income, thirty five thousand of capital gains, uh, the capital gains would be at zero. But uh, if you if that total goes over eighty five, then you start paying capital gains. All right, I'm a retired person. Want to give a sum of money to my son. How can I advise him on regarding uh, regarding deferring taxes on that inheritance money? Uh, the first thing is you don't need to tell him anything because he's not the one who has to pay taxes on it. I can give all kinds of money to Jeff. He doesn't have to pay tax. The recipient doesn't have to pay tax. It's right. the grantor that may have to, uh, the, the donor, the, the person gifting, if it gives over, goes over a certain amount. Now, it's 16000 a year right now that I, don't, uh, I can give without having to report anything. It doesn't impact me at all. But if I go over the lifetime exclusion, which is just short, maybe around 12 million, <coughs> 11 million, 11. Yeah, 12 million and 60,000. There we go. We broke 12 million. That's a lot you can give away in your whole lifetime. So I give Jeff a million today. Now, I do have to fill out a form. If I went over that 16,000, I think it's a 709. I always mix it up. So 709 seven, for the gift. <laughs> the 706 and the 709, very similar to me. But anyway, <laughs> the 709, we file that form. And it just tells the government, it doesn't create any tax burden, just says, hey, I granted or I gifted to Jeff a million dollars. I want that taken away from my lifetime exclusion. Don't have to pay any tax. And certainly Jeff as a recipient, doesn't have to pay any tax. So what I would tell your son here isn't what he needs to do about deferring taxes unless it's over $12 million, but maybe about how to invest it so that he can have great tax returns, I like can get into real estate or something like that, or proper structuring with trading and Bitcoin and things like that.
0: And, and what that gift tax return does that you gave me a million dollars and you filed it, you're saying I gave away a million dollars and it's going to lower that twelve million sixty thousand dollar limit down to eleven million sixty thousand dollars. Yep. So it comes off of your estate. So when you die, they're going to look at how much I believe it's called credit is left for your lifetime estate. No, that's wrong word. But for your that's estate,
1: fine. yep. That's uh, I'm a bit short on that right now. <laughs> I got a ways to go. <laughs>
0: I also want to talk about the that you mentioned the sixteen thousand dollars gift, yep. the annual exclusion where you don't have to report anything. well, let's let's look at the math and the multipliers in there. So I can give my son sixteen thousand dollars, but I'm married, so my wife can also give my son sixteen thousand dollars. That's right. And my son is married, so we can each give her sixteen thousand dollars. So we can effectively, by giving to different and different individuals, giving to different people, we can give sixty-four thousand dollars to couple to couple, couple to couple. Yeah, so, it's a really great deal, and none of it has to be reported. Something we never talk about is the also the five twenty nine gift. You can donate up to five years of five twenty nine deduction, five years worth of gifts. So that would be sixteen. What eighty thousand now? Yeah, eighty. So you could so. contribute $80,000 to a child's or grandchild 529 plan in year one. Now, you can't give any more over the next four years, but it's a way to front load your 529 plans also. So And, if all, you could, and all that will just grow. Yeah. You uh, yeah, it's, it's a way to get more money in there quicker so you can take advantage of that timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a nifty little deal for, for college and things like that. It doesn't
1: even have to be college anymore. It can be for other... I guess qualified through c twelve. yeah, yeah, for
0: private school. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of benefits there. One last thing, if you receive gifts from foreign individuals, ah, yes, if those gifts are more than a hundred thousand dollars, there is a form to fill out. I want to say it's a thirty five twenty, but I'm not sure. That one I'm not going to remember. <laughs> uh, but yes, sir. <clears throat> that is the o- only other exception that where if you receive a gift, if it's from a foreign individual or a foreign trust, you may have to fill out uh, a form. Still no taxes to pay.
1: Yeah, that's the key. Is Typically, you never tax the recipient. It's the the one giving the gift if anybody's going to get taxed. And as we've said, that there's a lot of ways to get around that where you don't even have to ta- be taxed on that. So uh, great question. I think hopefully that will give you some options
0: uh, of what you can do for your son there. IRS just wants to make sure you're not laundering money for the cartel or something. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, let see here. I'm on Social Security, still an entrepreneur, but currently no significant income over the Social Security. I'm looking to buy a duplex with my business partner's mother, who's also a sole, sole source of income as the Social Security, and where we would each reside in one half of the duplex. I understand that as co-borrowers, co-borrow- we will each be fully responsible for the payment on the property if the other person passes, and uh, the other person is fairly concerned about her liabilities if something were to happen to me. My question, is a living trust a possible vehicle to address for concern either by guaranteeing the payment amount or by paying off and selling some property? Some other means, such as a life insurance policy tied to the property. Also, in the case of the need for either of us to to get or need medical care or facilities uh, that would look at your assets, uh, is there some means by which the living trust or some other financial vehicle may be used to protect the assets for the other party? That's a lot. <laughs> um, you know, this is one that definitely Jeff and I kind of looked at beforehand. Uh, first of all, we just, you know, we don't like the idea of being co borrowers in there. You really want to have it separated at all possible uh, because that really kind of creates a, a fly in the ointment on things. Because uh, certainly life insurance policies can be set up, you know, to where something's paid off or, you know, that's not unusual. But the living trust, these are different documents for two different people. So they really want to be entered twine too much. Uh, and this is really kind of a, an elderly law specialty uh, type thing. Uh, also, uh, we talked about the um, five years for the irrevocable trusts.
0: Yeah. Well, let's kind of break us down. Two different unrelated people owning one property. Now, it's not a rental property. It's both a primary residence. First off, I think if you were purchasing, it sounds like it's one property, correct? Yeah. Duplex. I would probably be more comfortable if you were buying your half and she was buying her own half. There's still things you can do so that whoever's the survivor can end up with it, the whole thing, whether that's through a will, through a living trust. But I, I think you you may have issues with both of you owning half of it and only living in half.
1: So we talked about, we didn't, weren't sure they could even title it out as individuals for each separate half if there is the same loan covering the whole so unit. So
0: let, let's look at a couple of different things. Tenants in common, does that work here? I don't know that it does because if you're tenant's in common, you still own a fraction of the whole thing. That's right, yeah. I, I don't think that...
1: I think everything when we're trying <coughs> to keep as co-borrows, co-owners in a sense, but yet called separate parts, boy, it would just be a lot easier if you could each independently own your own
0: half. What about joint Tennessee with the right of survivorship? With the right of survivorship, correct?
1: Uh, I mean that that might be a possibility. You know, basically, you just be giving it all over to uh, to the other person if one passes. So um, it it might be, but I just don't know that. You know, you're going to have to make sure everyone's will is saying that, that, or excuse me, the living trusts are. Properly assigning that out for each, and that takes some trust there because uh, I, you know Jeff would never know what I'm writing in my living trust. Mm-hmm. You know, no, nothing to say that that would you know stand as an agreement. So I get back to why we don't want to dodge around this question. If at all possible, we could keep this separate separate owners. I think that's just going to make a, your life a lot easier.
0: So so let's talk about a couple of things like mortgage interest and taxes. Taxes really isn't a problem because. Yeah. If you pay taxes, you get to deduct them up to that $10,000 limit. Correct. Interest, on the other hand, you have to own the property. So it has to be titled to you. And the property has to uh, secure the loan oh, building. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of feel like there would be a conflict there. Yeah. If, if, Unless you're both on title. And then the title gets very confusing for me.
1: Yeah. and. and- Real estate attorneys who deal with this might be able to have some solutions to that. Uh, I mean, like some of our staff, our our platinum attorneys might be able to look at a little bit more from a tax aspect, though. It creates some, you know, some possible problems we may not want to have to address.
0: Now, let's talk about, she mentioned life insurance. So you and I buy a condo together or uh, duplex together. I die. We've set it up so you're going to inherit my half. But what about the mortgage? Well, I have life insurance that will pay off that mortgage. So, yeah, that idea I
1: like. If we I mean, uh, we're, plans can be worked with like insurance plans to use those funds, but again, we need to make sure it's earmarked towards that. I never trust the other person if it's, you know, especially, you know, if it's not family or something like that.
0: So, so you get my share of the property with a step-up in basis mm-hmm. and my death pays off any loan. I want to have my death investigated. Because <laughs> you seem to come out really well ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, my, my problem with the insurance in this case is uh, you both mentioned you're on Social Security. So we know you're at least 62. Mm. And the problem with life insurance is it gets really expensive as we get older, That's even even great, life. Great point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's still a good idea, but is it going to be plausible
1: to do that? That might bring up, Jeff brings up an excellent point. You know, those rates are much higher as we get older. So that could even (laughs) put down. I kind of like that idea a little bit because life insurance plans are used often to pay off debt in a business or something of that nature. There might be a play there, but those rates are probably going to be pretty high.
0: So one thing you want to do at a minimum is talk to somebody who does estate planning. Uh, Pia's group does. Excellent uh, source. Yeah. John Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who does estate planning, and talk to them about what you want to accomplish. That you have this, you want to go in together, buy this duplex, have you both own it. But should one of you pass suddenly, you want the other one to get it mortgage free as possible. Yep. So I strongly suggest you talk to somebody right about that to make sure that you're addressing your concerns and, and they can help you out with that. Absolutely. Great question, though. All right. I picked it just to. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, I have a $14,000 tax liability for 2021. I need to open a SEP or a simple IRA to reduce the 21 tax liability. What else can I do for 2021?
0: Well, let's talk about the SEP or or simple. So, you need some kind of retirement account. Traditional IRA and Roth IRA, you have until April 18th to fund that. Now, as far as the simple or the SEP or even a 401k or any kind of qualified retirement plan, it's going to depend on where your income is coming from. If it's coming from an S-corp or C-corp, like you're drawing a salary, uh, you could set up a 401k plan for that. If it's coming from a partnership or from self-employment, you could do go the SEP route. It's probably a better way to go. I don't know about the simple IRA. Simple just has a very low amount
1: that you can contribute yeah. to it. The bonus of that, though, the, 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 is that you're... Your Your SEP is going to be based on up to twenty five percent, depending on if it's an employee or twenty percent if you're self employed, Mm -hmm. of your overall earned income. So uh, the simple doesn't have that limit. So you know if you're looking at lower amounts and want to max, maybe the simple. I think it's about fourteen thousand, I recall, approximately, give or take. Uh, whereas the SEP has a higher limit, almost equivalent to the solo 401k, 58 in 2021 plus 65 uh, six, for the over 50 or, or uh, 65 for the catch up. Yeah, for the catch up. And so higher amounts you can put into the to the, the SEP, but if you don't have a lot of income because you're hampered by that 20% earned income from your self-employed business, uh, potentially. so. That would certainly be one of them. But you already know that in your question that that is something that you're already looking at. So you might want to calculate there, as Toby says, and you know, calculate, 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 see which one gives you the best of the two that you can put the most into there. So there are other options outside of what you address here. The next one that's popular is an HSA, but you're going to have to have a high deductible plan, which is approximately $1,400 deductible for a single, 2800 I think, for married filing joint if in 2021. And you may not want to change your plan that you already have. So that you know comes with baggage as well. It's not a perfect idea. But if you could make that work, if it does fit into your scenario, it's a great deduction.
0: Yeah. It, once the year has ended, it makes it really difficult to mm-hmm. find deductions. And I think that's the key point. We could talk about if you own a real estate, can you do cost segregation? You could do that. But then again, we have to look, are you a real estate professional? Are you going to actually be able to use the deduction? Right. So yeah, w- once the year closes, it gets really hard. Yeah, the the, the options kind of get limited, but it,
1: employment plans as you as you address here, HSAs, those are things that we are allowed to do after the, the books have closed for 1231. Uh, but then it becomes time is
0: also running out for HSA. That's also April 18th. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we want to get on that if it's if it's at all feasible. All right. My LC bought a fixer upper in 21 and sent a 1099 to the contractor who did the repairs. My property is now rented. Does my LLC have to include this ten and nine for repairs in 2021 taxes, or do we have to wait until the property is sold? Well, a couple of things here is a fixer-upper, and we're talking about renting. So this really, I think, twists on, or turns on what was the original intent when you got the building. What was it you were trying to do? And not that that intent can't change over an investment time, but. We really need to know that because you're talking about fixing up and, and fixing up and then selling right away and there was some rental in there. So it doesn't seem like we really know what it was. Was it a flip or was it a long-term investment? And that's gonna change our answer
0: a little bit. Right. So again, it depends. Yep. <laughs> this is a case where you really want to be careful about how you segregate your expenses. If if this is a flip, it doesn't matter. It's all gonna go into the bases, and then it's gonna be a case of where you're going to be included in your cost when you sell the property. Yeah, not until. If it's a rental property, I bought a $50,000 property that was really beat up, and I put a lot of work into it to make it livable. A lot of that's probably going to go into the basis of the property also. Because here's what typically happens. I can have two properties that are identical or should be. One selling for 100 and one selling for 50. Why is the one selling for 50? Because it's the $100,000 model that just had the tarnation beat out of it. (laughs) So I know I'm going to have to put money into it to get it back up to that standard. Well, IRS doesn't want to let you write that off as repairs because they know that you are bringing it back up to standards and that house probably should be worth the $100,000. So they're identical. So a lot of times we're going to. What's the word? Capitalize. Cap- yeah. Capitalize those, those, those costs. Which means depreciate, typically. Now, again, we talk about cost segregation. If you're a real estate professional or if your income is not all that high to start with, we'll say below 150, then you might want to do a cost segregation where you can actually pick out what pieces of those repairs and the actual cost of the house that you pay for are not really the building but are parts of the house furniture fixtures things of that nature exactly right so
1: yeah first again the key is it a flip or is it a long-term hold rental you you note going into rental so i'm going to say that it is you're going down the path of being a rental any repairs up right before you it was available for service available to be rented will go to basis to be depreciated. Mm -hmm. Any repairs after that or any work done after that will either be a repair or it will be an uh, improvement, which will be added to basis. Repair deducted immediately in the current year, improvement added to basis. But then as Jeff points out, you can do things like a cost segregation perhaps, break that depreciation up, speed it up. And then if you hook it with bonus depreciation, you're getting a massive deduction potentially right away the first year but how's that affect our return? It all depends on whether or not it's going to be a passive investment right. or is it active. And so, unfortunately, your question's got a lot of deep crevices to go into. But that's what's kind of neat about it. You know, it shows that there's a lot of flexibility here. But we need to know what is happening on your return. Are you a real estate professional? Is it a short terminal that you're materially participating in, or not? And those type of things. Or are we looking at the true uh, passive activities land? But if you have one hundred thousand AGI, as Jeff mentioned earlier, you can deduct up to twenty five thousand of passive losses in real estate. That's unique to real estate, not in the Bitcoin example, as Jeff pointed out. But as that that slowly phases out as your AGI gets to one hundred and fifty, so you may lose that too. So if you have a high AGI, uh, one hundred and fifty plus, you may get stuck in passive losses which isn't the end of the world, and you may have a plan for that, but just be aware of it. I'd hate to see a situation, put this money in there, uh, fix it up, and you aren't able to release that expense to help you out immediately.
0: One thing I don't like to see on a Schedule E, which was where you report uh, rental property, is this big, giant number under repairs. Right. <laughs> um, just Because like saying- if I'm an IRS agent, I'm going to go look at it and say, huh, I wonder if these really were repairs and if they can prove them. Yeah. I don't like giant numbers unless my income is also giant. If, yeah. I, if I'm bringing in $100,000 of rent uh, a year, ha- I, I don't mind some of those larger numbers on the expense side. Kind of has to reflect what else is going on on the return, you know, and be in line with what you would expect, what's reasonable. And, and you often hear people say, red flag, red flag. Well, that'd be it. The, the, yeah. Yeah. The- <laughs> there's There's really no such thing as a red flag. Mm-hmm. IRS does have its programs that are looking for certain things. And when I worked there, they didn't even tell the people who worked there what those are what those programs were looking for. I'll let that information out. However, like the Schedule C and the Schedule C gets even worse of it, mm-hmm. if I'm seeing in numbers that just don't make sense, I have eight thousand dollars in revenue, but I have fifty thousand dollars in travel. Don't give them stuff to question. Yeah, I mean that's kind of. a... You're throwing a snowball at them to, to
1: hit out of the park there. <laughs> so there, yeah, there's things to get out, but again, back to the you know, the 1099 is going to be going with the year that it was it was put into you know, associated in 2021. Certainly it's gonna be attached to that. It depends what we're doing with this property. Did we put in the service or not? Or was it a flip? Like Jeff said earlier, if it was a flip, well then it'll just go with whenever year you sell it 21, mm-hmm. 2020, 2021, 2022, or whatever. Uh, The rental, though, we have to look at, was it before place and service? And good job on giving them a 1099. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Make sure you're doing that. Never, ever work with a contractor. Don't engage them until they fill out a W-4 first for you. Excuse me. Yes, W-9. Yeah, W-9 so that you know how to tax them. Make them fill that out every year. I I have not had a year yet where I don't get asked about that. Well, I didn't do
0: it. Yeah, I'll take a step further. You said don't work with them, which I agree with. Don't pay them a dime until you have that W-9 in your hand.
1: Absolutely. Yep. All right. Great question. If I rent a property, is it better to declare it as personal income or should I better register it in an LLC or an S-Corp? Thanks. What do you think, Elliot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly I like the idea of using an LLC, not having it in my personal name for asset protection purposes, okay? Because if Jeff has his rental property and he makes that cardinal sin of having Elliot as a tenant. You know, I'll sue him, and if I know if it's in his name, I'll end up taking the whole house from him. So put it in an LLC, absolutely. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to have been bought in the name of the LLC, but you do want to get it transferred in there assigned over. You got our Anderson staff that does that all day long. We put it into these things for asset protection. But what about how that LLC, the one thing we know about LLCs and a lot of our clients, should that doesn't tell us anything about how it's taxed.
0: Correct. So you mentioned an S corporation? Yes. I don't particularly care for property or assets I can appreciate to be put in an S-Corp or C-Corp. The reason is, is they're difficult to get out without triggering tax. And I'll give you an example of when you might have to pull a piece of property out. Uh, I have an S-Corp. I want to refinance it. It's in an S-Corp tax or LLC tax an S-Corp. And you hear from the bank, well, we don't like that. We want to refinance in your name. And then you can put it back. Technically, that triggers a taxable gain if the property has appreciated value. And, and there are other issues. So if it was a partnership instead of an S-Corp, I can put it in, I can take it out. I can put it back in, I can take it out. And all day long. Please don't do that. It makes all my people crazy. <laughs> uh, but those transactions don't trigger taxes. Corporation is, is even worse than S-Corp. Yeah, C-Corp. The C-Corporation, yes. But yes, definitely the LLC. You can have multiple properties in an LLC. One thing Toby says when they are asked, "Well, how many properties can I have in the same LLC?" is, "What is your risk uh, tolerance?" Risk tolerance. Yeah, yeah. How so, much can you afford
1: to lose? Yeah, it's kind of like how many properties can I put in <coughs> there. Well, how many you know angels on the the top of a pin or whatever it is. It's there's a, you can put unlimited amount in there, but again, if you have Elliot in one of those. And I sue, and I sue against the LLC, which owns all the others. You just let the ultimate Trojan horse in there, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just that's just bad uh, asset protection. So get it in there, not just have it in the LLC, but you want to have it owned by an entity that's going to give you further asset protection. And you know, all of our clients know we work, we love to work with the Wyoming holding because it has that charging order protection. So that's you know, we certainly want to get into that kind of setup at the very least. How's that LLC tax? Not as a corporation, not as an SRC. Keep it disregarded up to that Wyoming holding and they either have that Wyoming holding disregarded to you or in a partnership, uh, one of those.
0: And a little bit about asset protection. I know we like to trust people. I don't. But, if, but, but, but you <laughs> can't. When it comes to your finances, you can't. I've known of people who have been injured, possibly not even on the property, but have done stuff like pulled up carpet and things of that nature so they can sue their landlord. So make sure you're adequately insured, make sure your liability uh, protected through an LLC or something. Bad things can happen. What you wanna do is mitigate the possible negative results. Yeah, I think Clint has some of the best
1: stories about that. (coughs) Some of his family renting out some buildings where they had just bad tenants doing bad things, drugs and whatnot. If you ever see him in the asset protection, tax and asset AP class, uh, he goes into that quite a bit, talking about that, and it's just something that you can be responsible. if Someone just turns off your smoke detector, you mm-hmm. know, that that's your tenant. You didn't have anything to do with it. Right. Lots of little things like that. I remember back in the days, if we go back, you know, as people talk about a possible bubble and all that. Well, I don't know if that's happening or not, but I remember back in the old one, I'd hear constantly from clients and people like that. Uh, people would throw down cement <laughs> down into the pipes, and you're just wrecking, just purposely wreck the house, you know. And so you want to have LLCs. And of course, insurance as well, Uh, but uh, you just never know what kind of damage is going to come and what kind of lawsuit. Yeah. So protect yourselves. Uh, Great questions. Next one. Can you explain what cost segregation is and how you apply it when you buy a rental property? What can uh, be best used in cost segregation? Also, if you depreciate a rental property for five out of the 27 and a half years and then sell it, how does the depreciation recapture work? How would you calculate it? Fantastic question. It gets back to a core of a lot of questions we had today. the example I give everybody and those who've heard and talked to me or whatever before, it's the same one. You know, normally we straight line depreciate a single family residence over 27 and a half years. That's Mm -hmm. where our our, uh, clients get in that number, 27 and a half. So you take the cost of the house plus any improvements, less any depreciation. That's your adjusted. Well, before we begin that, cost of the house plus improvements divide by 27 and a half years. That's your same depreciation each year. Straight line depreciation. Now, cost segregation steps, and it's a different form of depreciation. It says, well, now, hold on, Elliot. That house has all these different parts, carpet, lights, doors, foundation, and all those independently have their own tax life, five-year, 10, 15, 20, and summer, 27 and a half. Cost seg breaks those pieces apart. And when you've done that, now your your carpet tax at five years, instead of depreciating over 27 and a half years, you've sped it up to five years you're going to get a bigger loss, a bigger deduction, which is can be good done right on your tax return. So you got all these properties or all these five-year uh, categories and 10 and such you know, that are speeding up that depreciation. Now, right now, this year, 2022, you can couple onto that bonus depreciation, which says any 5, 10, 15, anything under 20 years can be deducted immediately 100%. So you get this massive depreciation. That's the key. To it. That's what, what you always hear us talking about it over and over and over. Next year, it's still really a great deal. It goes down to 80% bonus depreciation, mm-hmm. not 100% anymore, but still a really great deal. I personally think that's one of the reasons. No, no one ever talks about why people keep investing in houses right now, even though prices are going up. They're usually investors. That's just it because they know about the appreciation.
0: Yeah. So let's say I buy a, I have a $200, $250,000 property, 50000 of its allocated to land. Mm-hmm. Uh, The rest is the building. I go and do the cost segregation. They say, oh, these cabinets are seven-year property. Your appliances are five-year property. Oh, you have a swimming pool. That's $50,000, 15-year property. So by the time they get finished pulling this out, I have a house that's now worth, has a basis of $100,000 I pulled another $100,000 out and all these other assets, this cost segregation. Huge deduction. So... I'm a real estate professional. I've taken that depreciation in the year that we did the cost segregation. But a couple of years down the road, I sell the property. So I only have a basis left of $100,000. And I'm not going to worry about the depreciation on that. Plus $50,000 of land. Mm -hmm. So my cost in that sale is going to be much lower than it was originally because I've already taken that deduction for the shorter life assets. So we're looking at more capital gain
1: Potentially yes. because you have that lower adjusted basis. And then our client here on this question very astutely asks, Well, what about you know the depreciation recapture if you said you had it let's say five years? Now, if if, if you've made it up to the five year point, then all that five year property you can basically write off.
0: Yes. Yeah, the bonus depreciation for some reason is not subject to recapture. There you go. So yeah, it's a way to you're not recapturing all this depreciation there. Instead, you're paying capital gains on the house itself, which you really wanna do because you don't wanna pay what's called Section 20, 1245 recapture at your ordinary rates. You wanna pay long-term capital gains on at those lower rates. Yeah, that's a big point there, is that
1: this property is no longer what we call real property. All those five, 10, 15, we turned it into what's called 1245, or uh, basically tangible property. Uh, so different depreciation rules there. So you might have some, you're going to get taxed at ordinary rates, but if it's on five years and a five-year property, you can go ahead and just write that off typically. You don't have to worry about that. About 15, 10-year property, you're going to have some, uh, some, de- uh, capital gains that you got to pay tax on, but, um, not, not the, uh,
0: the five-year in this case. So let's go back for a second, back to the 1245 property. Yes. The, anything under 20-year lives here's why the depreciation recapture doesn't happen on that when i go to sell my property i am allocating all the sales price to the land and the building i am not allocating any money to my carpet or my garage door or this or that because i'm figuring those are probably pretty much worthless they've already been fully depreciated and so forth so the thing with depreciation recapture is depreciation recapture is limited to the gain on sale if I'm not selling those assets for, if I'm not getting any gain on those assets, the short life assets, then I don't have any recapture on those assets.
1: Exactly. So that works out really well at that point. You know? But you're still going to get, because as Jeff points out, you you did lower your adjusted basis. So you're going to have more capital gains. But also I'd say, you know, let's not be afraid of capital gains. That's a far better deal than you know 37% if you're in a high tax bracket. So it's always going to be lower. I think I can't think of an instance where capital gains would would be at the same level as your ordinary capital uh, tax tax bracket. So it works out really well that way.
0: So let's talk about. I'm not a real estate professional. This, uh, cost segregation always works if you're a real estate professional. Or what's the other one? I'm internally participating short term. Short term, yeah, short term rentals. Yep. Which aren't really rentals, but nope. we're not going there today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <clears throat> but let's say I'm not a real estate professional and, and I'm holding these long term properties. Why would I do a cost segregation? Well, I'm not going to be able to take the loss, but that loss doesn't go away. Uh-uh. It sits there until you get rid of the property or you have other passive law or income. So I hold it for five years. I got this $100,000 of depreciation expense that I've never been able to take the loss. When I go to sell the property, it releases all of that loss. Let's the pals out. Let's the pals out. <laughs> Who's your pal? So yeah, it's, it's a good opportunity to to take it at that point. And we and we do have a few clients that uh, have a lot of losses from cost segregations just sitting there with a the full realization they weren't going to be able to recognize them mm-hmm. at that time.
1: But that, man, when they sell it, <clears throat> those things has come out. And the if they have multiple properties, you sell one property. This is, again, you're not real estate professional, so you didn't aggregate or anything like that. You sell one property. All your pals get released to help, Defeat the capital gains on that property. So not just the the, the capital gains were associated with that property, but all of your pals get released for that to wipe it out. Can't be used to go higher on other things in, on your income. But if that one property had more pals than what, let's say, the gain was on it, then those extra pals have been released and that will go against other income on your return for that one property. So some neat things can happen with it. Even if you know doing the cost seg, there's just a lot of benefits to it. Uh, some, a lot of people you know we have this specialist that we work with, uh, Costic Authority Eric Oliver speaks with Toby a lot. Uh, I think he was on he was on one of the recent events. I can't remember which one it was, but fantastic guy, fantastic team. And they'll tell you about you know just the benefits of selling even the year of when you think about selling out, maybe it's a good play and they'll explain why all the different rules uh, and scenarios around it.
0: Here's another strategy you can use that kind of goes along with what you were just saying. I have a rental property. I actually have two rental properties. The one that has $100,000 cost segregation, but I'm planning on selling property one and I know I'm going to have a $200,000 gain on it. When I sell that rental property that has not had the cost segregation on it, that capital gain is passive. So what does that mean? I got a $200,000 passive capital gain and I got a $100,000 passive loss over here. I can offset those two exactly so anytime you're looking to buy or sell i think that's a really good time to just explore it Mm -hmm. um you mentioned eric oliver i know he does some quick analysis Mm -hmm. just to give you an idea of how it would work out for you free of charge free of charge yeah they'll they'll
1: take your data give you a rough idea what a cost seg would be of course they'll tell you a rough estimate of what their fees would be to conduct it yeah but a great group you know Mm -hmm. uh, the whole there is great. We always talk about Eric here because we're familiar with him, but uh, just a great group all around there. And, you know, you will not be disappointed. All right, I'm not sure, but that might be it. Yeah, that is
0: it. All right, questions. Hey, before we go on, see if we got anything up there. Yep, uh, see here in the chat side.
1: <laughs> I like what you're speaking, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Yeah, uh, I don't see. Looking for some questions here. It looks like, Uh, is the cost cost of a cost segregation deductible as well? If so, is it taken in the year it was paid?
0: Yes. So here's how this is going to kind of work out. You can still get cost segregation for 2021 up until the due date of your return with extensions, if you have an extension. So the cost segregation itself, that extra depreciation would be 2021. The expense of the cost segregation would go in 2022. Cash basis. Cash basis. There we
1: go. Uh, can you touch at all on nonprofits? Taxes for nonprofits. I mean, we can say basically, as long as it's doing its mission, if you will, it's typically if it's earning income related, that's not taxable. It is possible, though, that would mean, that's a great question. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. as it, Lentina? You could have a nonprofit get into some business that isn't really on its path of societal benefit that could cause it to pay taxes. We call that UBIT unrelated business income tax, Mm -hmm. and it's taxed really high. So we want to really avoid that like the plague if we can.
0: I'll say this about nonprofits. I'm all for people starting a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You have to decide what your mission is before you start, before you create that entity. Uh, It's typically going to be a corporation, a true corporation. You'll set up, you create, you'll donate to it. Uh, You could donate cash, you could donate. Appreciate a property is always a good one. Mm Uh, We've had people donate appreciated cryptocurrency. If you donate appreciated property, you typically have to get that appraised, uh, even for cryptocurrency. The one thing that is not the mission of your nonprofit is to benefit you. There may be some benefits to you. You get to deduct, you get to write off that uh, contribution, especially that appreciated property contribution. Yes. And so forth. But what we really want people to keep in mind is this is you doing something for the community because you've done well in life and you want to pay back. We've talked about affordable housing, shared housing, various other things. We have people, uh, I love animal the, benefit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love the one uh, one of our <coughs> clients uh, set up a whole thing for
1: autistic, the autistic adult children, houses especially uh, designed for them to live in and things. Just neat ideas out there. And I'm sorry, Lanisha, that was I put your in your name there, uh, but it was a great question. But back to it, you know, you're specifically asking about taxes and nonprofits, usually not an issue as long as you're doing your mission. But to Jeff's point, you want to have that mission kind of clear when you start. You want to have something that you're passionate about and you love. Don't just do it for a tax deduction because ultimately it's just, I don't think you're going to be happy with it. So have something you you care about and make sure you're doing it for the nonprofit purpose. And then usually that will help avoid any (laughs) you or something like that. As long as we have all the staff here, we have an incredible staff that Kareem uh, uh, has set up. He's uh, the head of our uh, nonprofit department, used to work for the IRS as well. Probably the same building as this guy, who knows. (laughs) But but, um, that team will be able to walk you through anything you need to know about uh, the nonprofit. Highly recommend going to their, their classes.
0: So talking about what you can invest in in, and your nonprofit, Uh, securities, uh, properties, uh, you can't do flipping. No. (laughs) You can't do anything that would be considered a trade or business. And and my usual example is St. Elizabeth Hospital is a nonprofit. They don't pay tax. But they're doing that bingo. (laughs) They have a gift shop in the lobby so you can buy stuff for your loved ones that are in the hospital. That gift shop is owned by the hospital, but that is what? It's UBIT. Yep. Because it is unrelated to their business purpose. It's a side business in IRS. Very good example. Yeah. Uh, So it's something you want to watch out for that UBIT is nasty. Why?
1: Because it has the same tax brackets, but they rise really quickly. So it takes very little income to be at the top bracket paying 37% or more. Yeah. So you just want to watch out for that uh lanisha again, i have a nonprofit that will provide home to the aging foster youth and i'm looking to get properties to rehab to allow them to help rehab and live in for 12 24 months at no cost to the fosters that might be an issue because you're doing that rehab thing if you're thinking excuse me rehab's fine fixing it up perhaps but not selling not flipping we want to watch out for that again though you know kareem and staff we have that nonprofit uh event i don't know what the next date is but uh we have that on our website under uh, events and and uh Cream
0: is just excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about that one in particular. About if you're buying properties at low discount or cheap, fixing them up and then selling them, you really need to have somebody look at that model. That yeah. may actually be okay, but want to be very careful with that one. Though. Yeah, that can get you into trouble. And what
1: can happen with the UBIT is Cream has told me is that they could, you know, in egregious situations, uh, take away your nonprofit status. Uh, and so, yeah, we want to watch out for
0: that. Uh, the other term you want to be aware of is private inurement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> means you can't profit from your nonprofit. Yeah. You you can certainly take a reasonable salary for what you're doing, uh, reimburse expenses to you for things that you provide for the nonprofit. But over and over again, you're going to hear the term reasonable. Yeah.
1: And, you know, so the idea there is you donate $100,000, do not Give yourself a fifty thousand dollars paycheck, you know that's that's just not reasonable. So, uh, you know, no business would be able to run on that. No, why should
0: a nonprofit be able to? We love the nonprofits and we love the people with good motivation for doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that is the real. You know, I talk to a lot of clients who do this, and and they do that thing that they're passionate about, and they tell me, uh, you know, years down the road, they always say the same thing. The deductions are nice, but really, it truly is. It's that they feel like they've done so much more in life than any deduction. It's just doing that, that that whatever that societal benefit is that means something to them. And that's incredible. And we got clients doing all kinds of things. I know one client who helps out with uh, acting for minorities, I believe it is. You got, the, of course, all the housing. There's just everything. Dogs for the veterans. That was the most astonishing thing. One of our clients does these uh, uh, dogs for for. Post-traumatic. A, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, t-shirt. And something like 100%, you know, just incredible uh, success rates with those those little dogs. Or they're not little like German Shepherds, but uh, just amazing things our clients are doing with those. And so a lot of great stories, very inspiring.
0: Yeah, these nonprofits work best where it's your passion. Hmm. Questions, you can email us at TaxTuesdays at AndersonAdvisors.com. And please visit us at AndersonAdvisors.com. We got a lot of good material out there. Look for the video page, look for it on YouTube, and I think it's the next slide. We're always adding more. (laughs) We appreciate you stopping by and listening to me and Elliot chat. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Try to answer your questions. Toby, hopefully, will be back in two weeks. I'll be in the back (laughs) answering questions. (laughs) We'll change Elliot back up to his desk. There we go. Uh, No, I appreciate you uh, filling in for him today. Happy to do so. And everybody, have a good week, and we will see you next time.